Praise the Lord Jesus. Good to see you all tonight. Everybody say the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. <laughs> his mercy endures forever and ever and ever. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Romans, the 12th chapter. We've had a few weeks here where we've done a few different things. We're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, we, we were in the process and are talking about being overcomers. Amen. I came up in, in a time in the early 80s when our confession about who we were in Christ and what we had in him was incredibly important. And so I, I came up in a time where to confess our victory, that we have victory in Christ Jesus. That as we have over our doors, so you could grab it when you leave and take it with you in the week, thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. We were taught to declare that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That nothing could separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. We were taught to just declare out of our mouth we could do all things. No matter what the circumstance or the situation, we could do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And there's such a power to really believing and understanding that you are an overcomer concerning circumstances of life that come your way. That because of what Jesus did for you, because of the things that we sing about and the, 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 the overcoming life and the resurrection power and the love of God and all the, those things that we rejoice in, they're not just to rejoice when the music is playing, but they're things to declare as we walk through life. They're things to really, as we, as we might say, put your stake in the ground. Right? Come and put your flag in the ground. <clears throat> I am raised with Christ. I am seated with Christ. And so right here, his victory is my victory. Over sin, over death, over worry, over stress, over all the things that would try to come against us. Over outward downturn, I put my stake in the ground. I am his, he is mine, and because of that, I am victorious. Right? And so Paul declares here, we're just looking at this one chapter, we're kind of breaking it down, but he ends this chapter, and of course, his writing wasn't in chapter and verse, but he's working on a thought here, or ending a thought here, and he says this in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I'm going to ask you this question, you don't have to raise your hand, but you know, since about March, with everything that's going on, has anyone ever felt like I might just be overcome by all of this stuff, <laughs> right? It's just coming, this is so much stuff. What in the world's going on? We're locked into our house. They're telling us we can't come, we can't go. People are telling us what we have to do. Then all of a sudden you just see stuff going on. You see cities burning and you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Are we going to be able to do this? But I want to tell you that the, the writers of the epistles, and sometimes we miss this, they did not write these things in American culture. I know that will shock some of you. But they didn't write it in American culture. They wrote it in pagan culture. Paul wrote to the churches when there was always political upheaval concerning the Roman Empire, Judaism, all those things. There was just upheaval. There was persecution. I mean, you read it, and we don't think about it. We think, well, you know, Paul's writing these things. Be happy. Be joyful. Listen, he's talking about rejoicing every day, and yet he's shipwrecked. 
He's stoned and left for dead. He's imprisoned without a trial. And he says, listen, you can rejoice in the midst of all these circumstances. But an American culture says, how can I rejoice when things aren't going my way? He's saying, listen, you can't allow the greatest or the least of evils to overcome you. Or else Jesus died in vain. If the circumstances of the day, if the evil of the day, Jesus said, listen, the trouble or the evil of the day, this is why we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not worrying about tomorrow. He says tomorrow is going to have sufficient as the evil or the trouble in the day. In other words, there's going to be evil tomorrow. There's going to be evil things come against us tomorrow. How do we do that? We overcome evil with good. If we're not careful, the evil comes, and it comes in subtle ways. It comes in, in subtle aspects. Sometimes it just tries to run you over. But when it runs you over, you get up, and you, you, you always determine, I'll never let that happen again. But you don't let it happen. You don't say, I'll never let that happen again because I'm going to get so much gooder. You think, I'm going to get tougher, I'm going to get meaner, and that's never going to happen again. But you don't overcome mean with mean. You don't overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. Come on, we're not in, in this idea that we're going to compete who can be the worst, who can be the loudest, who can be the most obnoxious with the world today. We're looking at saying, how are we going to overcome all these thoughts, these fears, these anxieties, these pressures that come into our life? They'll all be, y'all are okay, right? Y'all are okay, right? Okay, they're okay. For everybody who, like, for whatever reason, zoned in on Jonathan walking in, they're all all right. For those of you who are watching, Jonathan just walked in. Everybody seemed to, I was wondering if there's a problem right here by all the eyes that went to them. But we're good. All right. So we can even overcome that. Praise the Lord. May not be him. It might be this cute little girl sitting on the front row. But hey, it, it's all right. She's, she'll remain cute through the whole service. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so we overcome evil with good. And he starts this thought, clear back in chapter 1. We've been breaking this down. How to overcome evil with good. And so in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it start, he starts us off and he says, if you're going to overcome evil with good, the first thing that you're going to have to do is give your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now we can say that, but it's a choice that has to be made. It's something that has to be determined down in your heart because when the pressures of life come, right, when our desires are, are made known, the enemy is seeking whom he may devour, and he leads us away by our own desires and entices us with things. He's drawing us away from God, and he leads us with those, what he calls the desires of our flesh. And so he says, you need to give your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. It's, it's just reasonable when God says, listen, here's Jesus hanging on the cross, giving everything for you. It's only reasonable that you see the divine exchange that's taking place, that he raised from the dead and he raised you out of the deadness of sin. So there's no longer a bind of slavery of sin on you that you would give your life away from that slavery of sin to him. In God's mind, it only seems reasonable, but here's the catch. It's not always that reasonable in our mind when sin is pulling. Right? And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul has to tell the Corinthian church because they have been giving their bodies in sexual immorality for so long as a custom, as a culture, and even as a religion. Now that they're born again, he says, well, what, didn't, didn't you know? Wait a minute. Don't give your bodies 
out in sexual immorality, did you not know that your body is not your own? That you've been bought with a price. And so see, when evil comes, it's trying to really pull and, and draw and, and captivate you to get to give your actions, to give your labors, to put your hand or give yourself over to something that will actually detour you or bring destruction. So he says, you have to determine, I have to determine to give my life, my body, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Earlier he says, or don't you understand this, that if you give your members, your body, over to sinful conduct, sin will once again enslave you. He's talking to Christians here. We think, no, I'm redeemed, I'm righteous, I'm in right standing. He says, that's all true. You were raised with Christ. He just finished saying, listen, you were raised with Christ. You're not under the law anymore. You're under grace. But wait a minute. Understand this. Though you're under grace and you're free, if you give your members over to sin, sin will once again capture and enslave you. But if you give your members over to righteousness and to work righteousness, that righteousness will enslave you or that righteousness will govern your life. How do I overcome the temptation and desire of my flesh to give my body to do things that I know are wrong? By giving my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's just a reasonable service of worship to say, I get it. You paid the price for this. Why would he do that? Because he says this right here is the temple or the dwelling place for you of the Holy Spirit. Now, he can either live in the temple or he can live in a shack. But he said, listen, I've fashioned, I've recreated you. To be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. And how did I do that? I purchased, right? We may not see it from the outward, but I purchased this body which was perishing and run down and enslaved by sin. Sin that was going to de deteriorate and bring it to destruction. I purchased it with my own precious blood and I raised it up again and I refashioned it as a beautiful place for my spirit to live. So don't give my dwelling place away to something else. I overcome evil with good. Right? So we don't think about that. We think, listen, this is my body. I can do with it whatever I want. We just have to make the adjustment in our thinking. This is not my body anymore. This is his body. And he gets to do with it whatever he wants. Come on now. Now that makes us a little bit afraid, right? But really what he'll do is first he'll start to refashion. He'll start to strengthen it. Why would he start to strengthen it? He'll start to strengthen it because he's about to do things with his body that we couldn't do in a weakened state. But when he strengthens us by the Spirit of God within us, He's going to strengthen us for something far greater and for his glory. 
And when you start to think about it, which is hard for us to grasp, but when I allow my body to be his instead of mine, and he begins to fashion, and by his spirit he begins to strengthen, right? Romans chapter 8, you all know that? That the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, and the spirit of Christ that dwells in you will strengthen or quicken or make alive your mortal body by the spirit that dwells within. In other words, God's not trying to say, you know what, just give me your body and I'll run it down. No, he wants you to give the body so he, by the spirit of God, can begin to strengthen you for things that otherwise you could not do. And he says, I want to strengthen you to do things for my glory. And when we grasp that, we think, wow, to be involved in the midst of things that are going to bring God glory, to be a part of what's going to bring God glory, it's going to be amazing. And they begin to understand it wasn't their body, it was God's body. I mean, right off from the beginning, Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John were arrested and then they returned to their own company. He said, listen, we're going to stay with preaching Christ. We're going to tell you what they told us, but we're going to stay with preaching Christ. But they'll kill you if you preach Christ. That's what they said. And they all gathered together and didn't say, oh, my gosh. Let's, they said, let's pray. And they acknowledged God as the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything that in them is and how there was all kinds of things going on and that, they, that God had sent Jesus for them. I'm really paraphrasing really quick. But then they said, grant unto your servants boldness that we might speak your word, stretching forth your hand. Stretching forth your hands that signs and wonders might be wrought in the name of the holy child Jesus. They're like, listen, this isn't our body anymore. When we stretch forth our hand, we stretch forth your hand. When we go somewhere, he's going with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We contain the glory and the power of God on the inside of us. So it's only reasonable if we're going to overcome evil with good that we give our bodies a living sacrifice. Number two, and this, we've already talked about this. I'm reviewing, so I'm taking a little bit too long. He said, don't be conformed to this world. I like the way the Message Bible says it. Don't just go along with the world without even thinking about it. How many times have we ended up in a position that we didn't think we wanted to end up in, and we weren't even thinking of how we got there? We just started going with the flow of the world, and we ended up somewhere and said, how did I end up here, and why did I end up here, and why did I let myself end up here? Because we weren't allowing our mind to be renewed. He said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you overcome evil with good? By renewing your mind to the Word of God. Right? And the Word of God begins to work in us when we renew our mind. It begins to work a, a strength. It begins to work a knowledge of really the doing. It begins to work now, work together. Our mind and our body begin to work together. Hebrews says this. He said, listen, he's talking to them. He said, you, you ought to be teachers by now, but you're still being taught in such a way that you seem to be babes who are just beginning. Why? Because you're just needing this milk of the Word of God because you listen, but you don't do anything with it. He said there's this, there's this place where actually you come to the place of needing strong meat because by reason of use of the Word of God. There's something that happens when we renew our mind that we begin to realize that this Word of God is true. It's right every single time, and I believe it. It gets into my mind that God's ways are right. God's ways are true. God's ways are just. God's ways are holy. When God says this is the way, this is the way. 
And instead of doing it the way everybody else does it, and the way everybody else said to do it, the way God said to do it is right. Well, wait a minute. You know, you've probably had this thought, this, this thing going on in your own mind from time to time. Well, wait a minute. Nobody else is doing that, God. Other people have done it, and they seem to be okay. But he's not basing what everybody else is doing, what everybody else seems to have got away with, whatever. He's saying, listen, I want to make the word of God alive to you. And as you hear the word of God, as the Holy Spirit makes it alive to you, you utilize the word of God. By reason of use, you begin to mature in the word of God. He says, by reason of just coming and hearing, you'll just have milk and milk and milk and never grow. But when you begin to grow by the sincere milk of the word, you begin to change your thinking and bring your thinking in line with God's thinking, now all of a sudden you begin to use the word of God and apply the word of God to situations that begin to show you, oh, oh this is the way to go. We don't just hear the word of God and then go and forget about it. We hear the word of God and we ask God for wisdom to teach us, to make it alive to us. So we come in contact with situations. We know how to utilize the word of God and confess and speak the word of God to a situation that all of a sudden we begin to see it transforming and it changes the way we think about the word of God. And so with all kinds of evil thinking and the spirit of antichrist in the world and the thoughts that bombard us that are contrary to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, we're in this world, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down. Everybody say casting down. Right, not entertaining, not playing with, not wondering and pausing, but casting down every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. He said, listen, if we get our thought life in line to where we recognize, no, 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 no. That isn't in line with what Christ did for me. No, 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 that isn't in line with the way that God is directing me. I'm throwing that down. I'm not entertaining it. I'm not playing with it. I'm not going to let that come out of my mouth if it's contrary to the obedience of Christ, but I'm going to cast it down, and I'm going to begin to learn what is in obedience with Christ, declare it, say it, and I'm going to overcome the evil that the enemy is trying to subtly bring into my thought life, into my self-talk, and I'm going to eliminate it. And my thought life and my self-talk is going to be faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done, what he's prepared for me, how he's leading me. And I begin to overcome the things that are leading me away from God, the things that are creating trouble because they're in disobedience to Christ and beginning to not only give my body but give my thought life over to things that obey what Christ has done. Number three, we're going to need to humble ourselves. So turn over there to Romans chapter 12. And Jonathan taught about this a few weeks ago. But in verse 3, he says this. He says, for this I say through the grace given to me, through the ability and the favor and the divine influence that God has given to Paul, he says, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. He said, listen, when you understand what Christ has done, this is a place and a time. And he's about to get into some really workings of our 
personal life here. And he says, but before we get into the workings of your personal life that will really begin to cause you to understand what you were created for and how you minister to others and what that gifting on the inside of you is, because it's going to be so dynamic. And here's where I think we miss it sometimes, that these graces that God has put in your life are so dynamic. They're so telling that they're beyond us. That all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you will think you're pretty smart when you're not. It doesn't mean you can't help others and you can't give direction, but you always have to go back and say, listen, this wasn't me, this was God. And I'll just tell you this, it may, you know, sometimes we compare ourselves, it's not wise. But you know, where we've come in the last... I mean, I'll probably say this more and more because I'm trying to wrap my head around the fact that the church will be 40 years old next year and that I've been here uh, 39 of those. But, you know, in walking through the development and walking through pastoring the church and understanding where I came from and what God has done, I always have to stop and you can look around and almost say, well, look what we did, look at how we did it. This is how we did it, and get to thinking, boy, we did a good job. But I always have to kind of sit back down not, and just go, you know, if it was up to me, my education, my upbringing, my abilities, we never would have done it. Wouldn't be paid for. The way we do business wouldn't be done that way. I didn't know how to do it that way. There's been people who have told me, you know what, that, that you implemented, that's good business. And I went, oh, it is? How'd you figure that out? I didn't read a book. I prayed. God said, do it this way. Now, you say, so, all right, let's don't read any books. Well, you know, I wish I would have read some books in some ways. There would be things that God could add to it. I wish I would have, you know, I tell some people, uh, you know, I told uh, John, some of these young guys, I said, if there was one thing that I wish I would have done, I wish I would have gone to school and taken some business, right? Because a lot of people get into ministry and they don't understand that running a church has its side of business. You have to be a good steward of finances. You have to be a good steward of people resources, all those things. And you learn that in some areas of business, and then you add the anointing to that. But because I didn't take business school, right, I just went to Bible school, the business side of this isn't mine, it's God's. And I'm humbled. I, I stand and look at this property. I, I look at you all sometimes when we gather together. I have to tell you, when we gather together and people aren't here, I get frustrated. But other times we gather together, I look at everybody. I think about lives that were changed, and I am humbled. Some people think, when I get, this, when I get my ministry, when I get this big, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to. And if you are going to, you're going to miss it. But when you look and go, look what God has done. And I'm talking about true humility. I'm not talking about, I'm not faking it. When you look in the mirror and you're just like, oh, my God, and what you did it with. And there's always the temptation, and I've learned this over the the period of time. There's always the temptation to go, okay, God, we pretty much got this now. And every time you think you got this now, this is what Paul is talking about. Every time you think you got this now, it doesn't go near as well. 
And because it's so extraordinary and people will look and people will say, and certainly there's greater gifts in here that will flourish even more than what we've done here. But people will look and say, what you've done there. And if you're not careful, you're looking and go, yeah, you know what? We have done really pretty good. We've, we've done some pretty amazing things. And because God's manifested glory on you will be very tempting to say, yeah, look what we did. Paul has to say, come on now. You always have to bring it back down to earth. Because when God exalts you, understand God exalts you. And it's part of humility to say, if you can humble yourself, I can exalt you. But if you don't humble yourself, you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. It's just, it's just a fact. You can get going and think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And you might build some great things. But at some point... In you thinking you did it, you're going to be humbled. It's a spiritual law. But in always coming back and saying, listen, without God, I can't do anything. What Jesus said, I'm plugged into the vine, and without him, I can do nothing. If I continue to stay plugged into him, I can do and live in the life that he's provided for me in that humility. Then God says, if I can get you to be humbled, I can put you in places that you never dreamed that you would be in. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit... If any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded and having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. The Passion Translation says it like this. He said, look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the Anointed One. You are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose and you will fill my heart with unbounding joy. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility put others first and view others as important, as view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. Listen, he's priming our hearts for him to be able to do something great. But what does the enemy do? The enemy comes against our life, and so daily this happens, that happens, this news, that, that comes. And what about me? What about me? What about my gifts? What about my callings? What about when are they ever going to be recognized? What about me? And God says, listen, if I can get you to be focused on others and humble yourself, I can do some extremely powerful things in you and for you and through you. 
Turn over to 1 Peter. Praise the Lord, I have to change these translations here. Give me a second. First Peter chapter five. Praise the Lord. Verse 5, he says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your care upon him because he cares for you. Now, he's hitting something here that we would think, you know what, 2,000 years ago, how are they writing this? But we live in a day and we live in a time, and certainly this is not just this generation, but generations come, transitions in generations come. And because of different generations and times and seasons, and we live in the change more than ever before of technology and other things, the younger people think we know what's going on better than the older people know what's going on. And we know how our generation likes it better than you know how our generation likes it. And all of a sudden, before we know it, we're in a contention of pride. The older generation is saying, listen, you don't know a thing. You haven't been through what we've been through. And the younger generation is saying, you don't know our generation, and you're just old and stuffy. And the the enemy divides us from the wisdom of the older, the energy of the newer, and we become divided. And when the church becomes divided from young and old, we lose what has to move forward to reach a whole generation for Jesus Christ. And so he says, even back then, he said, listen, younger people, go ahead and submit to the elders because there's a time and a season set forth for you that God wants to exalt you. He wants you to bring you to the forefront. He wants you to bring your gifts and your callings out, but he can't do it. It's for a due season. It's a time of transition that as the age and the wisdom and the things come about in uniting the old with the young, there won't be a generational gap, but there will be a generational unity that causes the body of Christ to walk in wisdom and to walk in power and possess the energy needed to reach a lost and a dying world. But time and time again, we contend with the old ways, not as good as the new way, and we know the new way, and you don't know our way, and we get contentious. And he says, listen, you got to humble yourselves, young and old alike, humble your hearts before God so that together God can do something in the season and the time and the generation that we live in. See, by humility, God doesn't want to put you down. God wants to prepare you to lift you up. But Paul was instructing Timothy as a young pastor. When we look at it, it's very difficult to look at even in our time and in the day that we live in because there's so many gifted people in this generation. It's just incredible what God is doing in this generation and the giftings and really the technology. I was talking to Brother Kevin today. They were visiting with us. They're pastors in Mobile, Alabama, missionaries in India, and we had lunch together and we were talking and you know, it always amazes me. I look at this generation. I look at our young people uh, playing instruments. I watch them athletically. I watch, there's, there's just this immense talent 
that, that uh, you know, it just didn't seem like in my generation, you know, we were as flexible, we were as agile. It took longer, and I was, I was just saying, this generation seems to have so much. And we were talking, we we're like, it's technology, it's YouTube. How many people are, are visual learners? You can go on anything and go, you know what, I'd really like to learn how to take my skateboard and jump up on this and slide down that and do all this, you know. One, we didn't have skateboards that could do that. <laughs> they, they were the steel, steel wheels on the roller skates that you screwed to the bottom of a board and you rode on it. It was a, a little bit clunky, right? But just about anything, I don't care if it's golf, if it's music or whatever, you go to YouTube and it shows you how to play it and you just watch it and you're a visual learner and if you don't get it visually, they tell you what they're doing. And it's just on and on. There's information everywhere and they're plugging into that information and they're drawing out gifts. They're developing talents. They're knowing things that we didn't even have that resource to and so they're, they're growing at a fast race, rate, but if all of a sudden they get lifted up in pride... The enemy humbles them, but God says, I put resources out there, and it looks weird. It looks odd sometimes. To me, it looks odd, all the technology, but all of a sudden, you start to see this amazing gifts and talents and resources that the young people are drawing on and their ability to do things that blow your mind. I mean, you young people, you just think it's commonplace, but to think of guys going airborne on motorcycles and doing two backflips and landing it, when I grew up, Are you crazy? And again, the technology, the motorcycle wouldn't have done that. It would have been way too heavy. <laughs> and gravity would have taken in. Come on now, just stay with me for a moment. If just in the world that we live in, somebody can do what they said was impossible. I was watching this thing the other day, and they said, they said, clear back, they said, just the physics it will be impossible to backflip a snowmobile. And they showed some guys a few years ago trying to do it, and it looked impossible. But they're, they're saying in these natural realms, what was impossible 20 years ago, we're going to make possible. And we stand in awe. I mean, you may think crazy, Risk takers, those guys who are flipping those things, it didn't come without risk and broken bones. But listen, if they're doing things that were impossible 20 years ago, and we're like, come on, don't leave God out. That's something that's stirring in the spirit realm that those who don't know God are grabbing a hold of that we the church aren't. God wants the young people to grab a hold of what was impossible 20 years ago and say, listen, with God, all things are possible. If I can backflip a snowmobile, just think what I can do with the power of God. But it needs wisdom and understanding. And a lot of these young guys have old guys mechanicking their snowmobiles, tweaking them, doing all kinds of stuff, helping them understand they have old doctors putting them back together again after they break bones, right? But there's things that come together if we don't get in pride and say, listen, I don't need to submit myself to the older people because I got this. No, you don't. God's doing something. And your gifts and abilities that we're about to get into that Paul addresses, he's, he's really bathing this and then he'll come back around with love. 
He's saying, listen, there's something extraordinary that I placed on the inside of you that I want you to realize, and I want you to start developing and utilizing these graces and these gifts on the inside of you. But if you don't humble yourself first, that same gift that I want to take and exalt you will be your downfall. The anointing will take you places your character can't keep you. And so he says that we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Right? We don't want the mighty hand of God coming down on us. We want the mighty hand of God coming under us. And so many people are afraid and they get off that and they're, they're always watching for God's hand to come down on them. But if you're humble and you look and say, God is mightier than I am, God has a plan that is greater than my plan, then you're looking to God not for him to smack you down, but you're looking at the mighty hand of God to come underneath you and lift you up. Humility is an extraordinary, extraordinary thing. Go back to Romans chapter 12. In case you've forgotten, we're talking about how you overcome evil with good. And Paul told Timothy, he said, be careful not to put a novice or a beginner with gifts and callings. This is where I was going. It's hard because these young people have so many giftings and so many abilities and so many talents. And they, let's just rise to the top. Let's just blow past. But he said, don't put an, a, 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 a novice in office lest being lifted up in pride, they fall into the same temptation as the devil. When it starts moving and all this, these giftings and these talents, even as a pastor, you're like, how do we get these people in this place? And then you feel this nudge to say, just hold back. Let them work stewardship. Let them work on it. Let them practice it. See how they're humble with what God has put in their hands. Because you don't want to move them forward fast and watch them fall. You want to create success. And so in that humility, there's time, there's patience with those things. And Paul is prepping us how to overcome evil with good because the enemy wants you to see, realize what God's put in you and the gifting and how you could excel that past somebody else. And he wants you to get to compare with yourself, with someone else, and your talents with someone else, and your giftings with someone else. And if you do that, he can take you down. I love this story. It goes way back, but some of you know Pastor Bob Yandy, and he has taught here many times. But back when he was pastoring Grace Fellowship in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it was a, a fast-growing church in Tulsa. People were coming from everywhere to do that. And one, uh, as the story goes, one evening after service, he was up front, and somebody came up to him and said, listen, I don't, I, I've watched you. And uh, I don't know, you know, what's going on here. I can preach better than you can preach. God's anointed me to be here. And, uh, 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 you know, he just went on and on about how he was better than Pastor Bob. I love Pastor Bob's uh, response. Pastor Bob said, you know what, you're probably right. You're probably a better preacher than I am. You're probably more talented than I am, more skilled than I am. He said, there's only one problem. God called me to pastor this church. He didn't call you. Right? So sometimes we can look at all that we got and start comparing it, but there is something to what God has called us to do. 
and humbling ourselves to follow the call of God, not to exalt our gifts and our callings, but to understand what God's called us to do and walk in that calling and not compare it to others. Romans chapter 12. In verse 16, he says this as he's going through this same thought process. He says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for the good things in the sight of all men. He's talking right here, and he says it's easy to get your mind set on big things, but associate with the humble. He's not talking about hanging around with people who can't do, can't do, can't do. He's saying talk around with people, hang around with people who have done, yet they don't attribute it to themselves. They can teach you how to do great things and attribute it to the power of God. Associate with the humble. All right. So if we're going to overcome evil with good, we have to give our body a living sacrifice. We have to renew our mind to the Word of God. We have to humble ourselves praise the lord and then he goes on in verse four he says for as we have many members in one body but all the members do not have the same function so we being many are one body in christ and individually members of one another having then gifts differing according to the grace everybody say the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The fourth thing that we want to understand if we're going to overcome evil with good is that we have to serve with grace. We have to serve with grace. We are members of one another. And we'll talk about this a little bit next Sunday night and dive into some of these graces. But these are the grace for the body of Christ is not limited to these things that he said here. He's lining out things to say, recognize here the things that are stirring on the inside of you and how you utilize the things that God has put on the inside of you. But he says, listen, if you first think more highly of yourself, if you're comparing your gift with somebody else's gift, if you're trying to compete with someone else who seems to have a gift, it's not going to work. But humble yourself because we are members of the same body. And we're not fighting against one another. We should be encouraging one another. We're not competing and comparing ourselves with one another. Pride does that. Humility allows us to recognize what's in one another and allow that to flourish. As we're supporting one another, it's not like one person has to be moved forward and recognized and the other person has to be put down. But when one member is promoted, we all rejoice. When one member weeps, we all weep. When one rejoices, we rejoice. When one's honored, we rejoice with the one who's honored, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says. He said, there's a place of this working together in this humility. We get to the point of like, if they're honored, well, who are they? I'm somebody. No, when we're humbled and we're not comparing our gifts, we're like, awesome, because they're a part of my body and God has brought them to a place and they've obviously humbled themselves and they're being promoted at this time. I rejoice because that's part of my body and I know that if I do the same, that God's going to bring me to a place that I need to be, but we're not 
comparing. We're not putting one down so others lift it up. But we're lifting, and in all actuality, we get down to help somebody have a step up. Because we're serving. And your gift will flourish, your gift will mature, and your gift will be strengthened when you use it to serve others. Not when we use it to exalt ourselves and our ministry, but we use it to serve others. And how do we do that? We do that with humility, but we understand that it's not something that we've done, but it's a grace that God has put in our life. Amen? So we're going to break these down just a little bit as we go through this. When we know this, when the enemy comes and he tries to tempt us with pride, he tries to tempt us with, you know, I don't want this gift, I want another gift. We understand that God has done something and we overcome those evil thoughts. Sometimes we don't identify what the enemy is doing in our thought life and in the pride that works in us, in our, our mind. We don't understand what he's doing and so he's working evil and we don't even get it. He's working dissension and we don't even get it. He's working destruction and we don't even get it. When we start to learn this, we overcome that evil with good. We've just put evil with like, this is terrible, this is bad, this is evil. That building's burning, that's evil. But there are things in the heart and in the mind that the enemy plants there that are working against the goodness of God. And we can overcome that by applying these principles. Amen? Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you, we praise you, we magnify and we glorify you for your goodness and your mercy. Holy Spirit, continue to teach us, lead us, and guide us into the whole of God's truth concerning our life, the direction of our life, the giftings in our life, and the anointing that rests upon our life, that we might serve you and serve others in greater effectiveness, that you would be glorified and that you would be magnified. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Say this we go. What God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great week.